Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. But the bigger leapfrog here is that these kids are going to work in these fluid environments. So not to plug the business, most of your listeners aren't in Chicago, but if you go to www.house, there's no .com, just the.house, you'll see pictures of the space. And that's the, play, the type of space that kids are going to be working in. There's no more cubicles. The best thing the millennials ever did for us was shatter the cubicle. These kids are going to be working in these fluid, uh, living room-styled spaces where everything moves around and everything's adjustable, and we're not teaching them that way. And, and so this is also an opportunity where your analogy is teach them to swim by watching other kids in a pool. Well, we're putting them in the pool that they're eventually going to have to swim in. Uh, and it's been resounding. The, the experiences that we're witnessing. Hey now, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro. Now I'm a dad to three kids, ages six, four, and one. Phew, wears me out just thinking about it. Each week we're bringing on dads like you to tell us your stories, your tips and tricks to help all of us make it through dad life. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get on with the show. All right, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. Today we are lucky to be joined by Gil Gabori. Gil runs The House, which is the world's first premium tutoring lounge made just for students, parents you are not allowed. The House is kind of like WeWork meets the Apple Genius Bar. Gil's going to tell us all about it soon. How's it going today, Gil? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Where are you calling in from? I am calling from Chicago, my hometown. Love Chicago. I did, I'm in Atlanta now, but I did right out of school. I moved straight to Chicago to work as a clerk at the Merck and traded there for seven years uh, in my 20s. What a, what a great, maybe the most underrated city in America, I think. I'm going to say bite me on underrated. That's just ignorance. <laughs> People that don't live there. I moved there from, uh, I was, grew up in Miami, and I went straight to, like, the Gold Coast, and I didn't even know you had a beach there. I mean, it's like you turn around, and there's, there's just incredible things in that city, and it's a lot more livable than, like, New York City, L.A., that kind of thing, right? I agree. People don't realize we have more sailboats in Harbor than any other city in the country, I think. We definitely have the most beautiful beaches in, what, one block away from our skyscrapers. Now, it's a hell of a city. By the way, I lived in Atlanta, too. I went to Emory oh, wow. uh, for the so beginning cool. of my college career. But that was pre-Olympic, so there wasn't much to say about it back then. Yeah, so Chicago. We, we normally do uh, rapid-fire questions, but i got to ask you now. What yeah. is your favorite pizza in Chicago? You know what? i got to tell you something. I, I've, I've heard people talk about Lou Malnati's, and I'm a big fan of the deep dish. But I'm going to tell you, Rob, for future reference, that's a question for tourists because <laughs> Chicago has such a food scene right now that we have these, you know, Soho style restaurants that are popping up. Some of the best chefs in the world are coming out of Chicago. So I'm going right. to give a plug to one of my favorite Italian restaurants got named top 25 in the country. Little hole in the wall by a Scottish chef named Cameron Grant. It's called Asteria Lange. If you come and you just want to be blown away by some, high-end eclectic but inexpensive italian that's my spot i can't and wait. when you're in chicago when you're talking to a chicagoan rob you got to ask them what's your best new restaurant 
that's how you know a Chicago. All right. I'll be there. I'm coming to visit my friends for like 48 hours, a little reunion in September. So I'm going to hit up that spot. Is it in the city or the burbs or where? Oh, it's in Logan Square. It's in one of those new up and coming neighborhoods in the city, which is where all of the uh, hottest restaurants in Chicago are now. They're in back alleys. We're following the LA scene these days where the, the best restaurants don't even have doors. There's a restaurant called Oriole where you walk the entrance to the restaurant, it's through an alley and through a working freight elevator. <laughs> God, you guys got so cool <laughs> since I moved away. What happened? I was all of a sudden right. and pot potatoes is not us anymore. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> pot bellies is still here, my friend. Still great. I don't know what the secret is, but it's it's my favorite sandwich around. You're getting me hungry, Gil. It's it's almost lunchtime. <laughs> so I am there I'm, you go. Oh, yeah, I'm excited to learn more about the house, but the main reason you're on the show is because you're a dad. How old are your kids? I am. I am a proud dad of four. Um, so I like to say that my wife, Carrie, and I co-founded our business and our family. Uh, she's my partner in all things, and we have a 10-year-old uh, boy and a 9-year-old girl and a 7-year-old boy and a 5-year-old boy. So the 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 funner way of saying that is we have a fourth grader, third grader, a second grader, and a kindergarten. Oh my goodness. I'm exhausted and in awe just hearing you say that. We have three kids and my wife is very career driven. I'm a stay at home dad, entrepreneur, and not a day goes, not an hour goes by where I'm not like shaking my head as how parents pull all this off and work and do everything. So props to you. Well, you know, I'm going to be in a business where I get to hear about every parent's view of their own failings and just to get to take it home and self-correct. Um, but it's fun. Having four kids this young, it's like walking around with your own mini carnival. Um, <laughs> it seems like you clear. We're still, I have seven, about to be five and one and a half. So I'm really looking forward to like when our youngest is a little bit older so she can talk and see i can't even imagine what your life was like five years ago that like stresses me out just thinking about it it shouldn't because it just it, it you're gonna miss every year in the past and you're gonna be enjoying this year more than any it's, it's ironic i'm having more fun than i ever did but these humans are never the same again you know yeah. my 10 year old's not going to be this 10 year old guy for very long they change so fast you know it's capture capture the moments without a doubt soak yes. them in because you think it's hard but someone once gave me the advice it goes from being physically hard to emotionally hard you know you're, you're not as worried about where your kids are and are they you know do you have to get them somewhere then they're just out in the universe and all you do is spend your day worrying so uh enjoy it i'm having a blast yeah, it sounds like, uh, right, it changes. I always wonder if these people with these wise cliches, I'm like, well, I want to talk to you back then because, you know, our hindsight uh, tells a better story. But it's good to hear the reminders because I think that's true. It's like, it's hard, right? Like this, anything that's rewarding, anything that's rewarding is going to be challenging. So I think like almost reminding yourself that every day and hearing from other people doing it, it helps a lot. I think the most challenging part that, you know, a lot of the cliches that you hear, you really come to understand as a parent. The most challenging part for us is that every child is really completely different. We have children that are completely successful in school, but have anxiety or worry about certain things. And then we have the kids who are hyper-confident in certain areas, completely struggling in school. And the ones that have, you know learning challenges, other ones have physical challenges. 
It's as if you learn one kid and you think you can carry that wisdom mm-hmm. to the next and the next one needs an entirely different bag of tools. Um, you know, I, I will say that what Carrie and I, you know, our profession being in the tutoring industry for 10 years is we've become very big believers in outsourcing and professionals. And so we've never been shy about finding the right professionals for our kids. And also coming from our profession and talking to a thousand families who in fifth, sixth grade, all have been telling us, we wish we did something X at a younger age. Carrie and I have gotten our kids tested younger. When there was a concern, we got a professional involved faster. And we find that we're ahead of the curve on a lot of things, but they really are completely unique. And the toolbox changes from one to one, you know, from one to the next. Yeah, it's a reminder because, right, my, I always, we have a little bit of middle child syndrome going on and I'm like, you, sh- you're, you have it so good, but right, he, in his mind, he's very different than his brother in a lot of ways. I want to group them all together, but right, they have different just way of looking at the world. So yeah, you got to put yourself in their shoes and I, I imagine once And they have go, different you know, biology, Rob. They have yeah. different biology. I'm a biologist originally and, and they're just genetically different. Once you have identical twins, they might as well be, you know, space aliens from different planets from each other because their level of stress and how they see themselves and, like you said, how they see the world are completely different lenses the day they're born. Um, and so that's, yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but that, that's just been my, my biggest challenge. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. It's like I, I am always wondering. I'm like, this is not a big deal, and I'm trying to figure out a better way to even talk to, like, my middle child when he's maybe getting upset about something that I don't think is a big deal, but in his mind it is. And I'm like, your brother didn't freak out this much, or maybe he did and I forgot it, but right. Just, just hearing that he is wired differently and then you got to just be cognizant of it. It's a, a good reminder. Well, being a big fan of your podcast, you, I heard one of your guests as their piece of dad advice was really listen to your child, not just hear them. Um, and, you know, that's a skill that we all lack in adulthood anyways. But someone, there was a teacher back in the 80s that was really well-known nationally. Her name was Marva Collins in Chicago. And she was renowned for, among a lot of other strategies, take, holding a kid's face by their chin and pointing their face up to hers so she could look them straight in the eye. And another version of that is getting on your knee and looking at your child straight in the eye. and, and by connecting at that level you can hopefully take a moment and say okay what are they thinking what are they saying what are they fearing because you're right it's easy for us to know that whatever they're terrified of isn't really a big deal but then we forget that it's still terrifying them that's really really yeah great tip and i think today it's probably more challenging at least for me and i imagine other parents the fact that we have that phone in our pocket just constantly giving us a little dopamine hit and it's just so tempting it's harder it takes more discipline to listen to your kids rambling stories sometimes or you know just let them talk for 10 minutes instead of all right let's wrap this up i got something else to do so yeah it's a good reminder that we almost need more separation i think it's i'm sure our parents said this too but i think it's more challenging to be a parent today in a lot of ways i think our parents were terrified of the tv and now carrie and i are thankful to have TV programming because YouTube can run in any direction. At least I know when they're watching the Disney channel 
or to be honest, even a movie, I know exactly where the content is going. Um, and and you're, you're right about the dopamine hits and just the way we've come to think. But let me tell you, man, when your five-year-old tells you, can you put the phone down for a minute? <laughs> you, you get stung pretty well. You, you, you come to see yourself in the moment. Yeah, we need them to be our mirrors and show us, uh, show, especially, yeah, I'm telling him to put that down or stop swiping through Netflix, but he's probably getting it for me or, you know, it's engineered to do that to him. So, yeah, I feel the same way about these shows. We're not one of these no screen time families. I, I admire people that can pull that off. But right. Sometimes like that's the thing, the content that they're watching now, there's so much of it. It's very different. And even a TV show, it could be like, you can watch this, but this is like eating a bag of Oreos every minute. So you have to, you know, pick and choose. And no, that's it. Of- and it's endless. There's no end to it. There's a YouTube after it. And, and what we have in our family, we call it the YouTube bounce. I put my four-year-old in front of a Britney Spears video that he wanted to hear. And I just keep hearing the song. So I figure it's just <laughs> looping the video. And I finally go look and it's a teenager in her underwear. Oh. You know, dancing to the song. And oh, and you can ask some of our family friends you know, what happens when your seven-year-old boy Googles skinny dipping, where he ends up? Like, you'll, you'll make your way to some very hardcore porn. Oh, um, and, and so that's the problem. So we're not a no-device family, but what we've done, and we had some very good advice on this, is we went from extreme devices to, you know, just absolute addiction. You know, you talk about dopamine. Our kids look like heroin addicts going cold <laughs> turkey when you would pull a device. So we told them that it's only on the weekend. So and what we did was we overlapped it with my wife and I have a date night every week and that we have a babysitter that comes and we decided, okay, if they're going to be on devices, let it be when we're not there so that we don't lose any time. So they know Saturday night they get devices. That's the baseline. It, yes, we still wake up at six in the morning and we're exhausted and they're awake and we'll give them permission to go use an iPad. But they have to ask permission. The default is they only get it on Saturdays. And it's also something to hold over them all week if they misbehave. So that's what we're trying to do. Again, no one's perfect parents, and I promise you we break our own rules. But the baseline is Saturday nights is when you get ta- is when you get devices. Yeah, my kids are used to fear the babysitter. Now they can't wait till she comes tomorrow night because that means they get to play like two hours of games. And if I'm not watching it, it doesn't really bother me as much. So, right, make it a treat. Yeah, and, agreed. And, yeah. Agreed. And my kids have never loved road trips so much in their life. I mean, we have a cabin in Wisconsin. They can't wait to go because they get three hours in the car and a tablet. So, yeah, I'm with you. We drove to Disney, and I don't even think they wanted to get out of the car. They were like so content. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we're going to 12 hours in the car. They're like, we don't care. Like, this is probably a problem if uh, they could drive forever. And I kind of like it too because yeah. we're on a podcast. So yeah, we spend a lot of time in the car. I'm sure a lot of parents with young kids can relate to that. Absolutely. I, I was in no rush to put all my kids on an airplane overseas. We're a National Park Music Festival family. Let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by Kickstart Reading. Do you have kids between the ages of three and six? I've got two boys, and when my older son was going into kindergarten, my wife and I quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read. We found Kickstart Reading and watched one two-minute video together, and you could see his confidence take off. Bonus, I felt like dad of the year. 
Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos. Highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. So, Gil, you've already given us a bunch, but on the Dad the Best I Can show, we like to do one dad tip of the week. Do you have a tip for other dads out there? I do, and this is the best tip I have ever been given that our kids live in an abstract world. So it's very hard for them, especially when they're young to understand what I, what your punishment is going to be if you do. So meaning I, we transitioned to our new method. I was at a restaurant. My son, oldest son was, I think eight years old, seven years old, and he's just not listening and I'm escalating and escalating. And my punishments are getting more and more ridiculous. I'm on the verge of forbidding him from going to college when I realize this just isn't working. And so I got some advice that this is what we do in our house now. We sat our children down and we told them, you're going to get one warning. We're going to call that warning number one. Then you're going to get warning number two. And then after warning number two, we're going to tell you exactly what your punishment is going to be. After warning two, you get no television that night. If you go past that punishment, you're going to get no electronics on the weekend. And then if you make us go to punishment number three, we're going to have to get creative. And so now what happens is all I have to do is tell my kids, you're at level one, you're at level two. And we're in public, like at a park or a restaurant, I'll just hold up two fingers. And we've hardly ever had to go to the first punishment. Um, But we've definitely never gone to the be creative punishment. And the logic there that these neuroscientists who developed this thinking was that kids need to know what the consequence is. You can't just tell them, if you don't, I'll punish you, or some version of that. Um, And it has to be in real time. So that's the best advice I've ever been given that I'm going to share with you. That's very helpful. And I I mean, it sounds like the strike one, strike two, strike three. But I guess here's what I asked Yeah, but the, the wisdom to it, Rob, is not the strike part. It's that you know exactly what happens when you strike out. That's the wisdom. The, the warnings, yeah, we've all, there's a really cool comic I have in my office that's a picture of an adult on a psychiatrist's you know, bed. And the psychiatrist asks, why are you so afraid of the number three? And in the next frame, the patient is imagining his mom going one, two, <laughs> you know, like we all do. Right. But the, the trick here is that they know what's coming after three. Yeah, I know. That is something I struggle with. I'm like, you're gonna, I don't even know what it is because sometimes everybody's like, we take away a toy and I'm like, my kids are, they'll be like, here you go. We don't care. They're at the age where those TV time or game time is what they need. So, and I guess the other part is you have to enforce it. I know you said you don't get to three, have to. three enough, but so you will say, this is something that you could help us with. Bedtime is usually when most of the things go off the rails. So how do you, and I asked my sister this, I'm like, how do you enforce these punishments or whatever when it's 
eight o'clock at night. And at that point, so is it the next day you're not going to get it? Or you're like, well, Saturday, you just lost uh, game time. And then come Saturday, you've got to stick with it, right? Right. Well, that's the thing. When you turn to them on Monday, they feel like they get away with it for five days. But man, all they have to really do, like someone told me once early on, if your kid's not crying in a timeout, it's not working. So <laughs> all you really need them to do is suffer one time from that punishment. That's why we haven't had to go there often. And with four kids, we really haven't had to have every kid go there. I'll tell you our trick with bedtime, because bedtime is totally zone offense in our house. Two kids, you know, four kids, two parents. Yeah. We actually, we have one analog clock. And that's another professional piece of advice I'll give anyone. Is put an analog clock up in your family room so your kids can learn the sweep of time. Um, and we do that. But luckily... Because we do that, that's the main clock they look at. My wife and I set it back every day. So when they think they're going to bed at 8 o'clock, it's 7 o'clock. <laughs> Only our oldest one knows the secret. And so it still takes us forever to get them to bed, but they get to bed at a normal time. That's, that's brilliant. So I didn't really give you the answer of how to get them to bed on time. I, really, the answer is just give yourself more time to get them to bed. Yeah, I'll t I, I never understood daylight savings time, but I'll, I buy in fully to this parent savings times. So I'm going to back all our clocks up. <laughs> there you go. Great. Back it up. They'll never figure it out. And you know what? They'll fall asleep, which means they need it. Right. Yeah. I'm not tired is usually a sign that they're tired, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's let's talk about the house. My friend Zach uh, emailed me a story about this a few weeks ago, and he said, how cool is this? You got to check it out. I think he wants to open one. But he was like, this is just amazing. How did you come up with this idea of the house? I, I know you've got a background in ed education, but tell us uh, that story. You know, it's, it's the house is really an amalgamation of a lot of other very successful ideas. So Carrie and I have been in the tutoring business. Our company is called Chicago Academic. And our niche was we found the funkiest PhDs and master's degree tutors you could ever find. So we would only send to your home someone that has at least one master's. But we also always had the highest per square inch ratio of tattoos. You know, these were, these are actual people. These are tutors that were punk rock roadies for years and, you know, instead of being on the bus doing drugs, they were reading books, then went and got their graduate degrees and became teachers. We have ex-surfing champions. We have just complete characters. And, and we've always liked hiring those because they identify with the kids. You know, an engineer who's built a motorcycle and sings in a band can identify with a teenager so much better than anyone else. And so we always knew that funky blew away nerdiness in this idea of how to help students, even in their own home. Uh, and then we opened up our headquarters. We bought a building and decided, you know, we're going to have a few tutoring rooms in it, but we couldn't stand to have a building that looked like a dentist's office, which is what we felt every tutoring company looked like. So we built kind of an urban, sleek style, um, and it really caught fire. And, and then so the house itself came from the response we got from kids for the design. And you said we work in your introduction. We work as, for those that don't know what Soho House is, which you need to live in certain cities to know, Soho House are these member um, lounges that are kind of urban, funky, they, they don't look fancy, and they're meant to be a community for artists. And 
why I belong to one, I'm amazed to this day, but I do. And what I find is that they build community, which is what WeWork does as well. It took entrepreneurs like you out of your basement and gave you a place that looked awesome and that was filled with people like you and built you a community. And so that spoke to me for a long time. I've always loved the Apple Genius Bar concept. Most of your listeners might be too young to remember, but when that idea came out, it was gigantic that I could walk in somewhere and not have to sit on the phone and get free help. That was mind blowing. And so we put all those things together and Starbucks, the affinity teenagers have for that. And we took 10 years of understanding what kids were missing. The tutoring model is absolutely broken. It's as old as Aristotle. The idea that you're Rob, when you call me for a tutor, we're going to talk about your child. I'm going to have my team pick out the perfect tutor. You're going to look at your family's calendar. We're going to pick the right time, and your kid will have been completely absent from that conversation. Well, no longer. The house, which is a model we're taking nationally, um, is a membership lounge for students. Parents gift a membership to their students for $250 a month, and they can come and they check in and check out just like a health club so we know when they're there. And it is a luxurious space, and they are not taught how to be adults. They are not punished. They are not reprimanded. They're, they're taught our golden rules um, in terms of how not to be disruptive, but otherwise it's their place. And until 4.30, the place is loud. It's bright. They are socializing. At 4.30, we bring it down, and it just becomes a nice, courteous workspace. And so what's amazing is we're seeing kids from very different schools making friends. We're seeing kids who never like to study, find that it's they're in the coolest place in town is the place where you study. And the biggest value statement for the parents is that the kids will meet their goal. So some parents' goal, and even for different kids of ours, our goal might be for them to get an A in algebra or just get a just get a B in algebra and we'll be thrilled or just get your homework done so that we can have dinner together and so that we can spend time together as a family or so that I don't have to yell at you to get your homework done. There are all these different reasons parents are sending their kids. And the reason the kids love it is because it's, they're studying together, they're, they're hanging out together, and it's filled with tutors. And the way they access those tutors is the way they access the world. They go on their phone, they go to our app, they push a button, and they tell them, I'm sitting in the living room and I need help in physics, and a physics tutor shows up. And if they need more than just a little bit of homework help, they push a different button, and we get a room ready for them, and they go and get a private tutoring session for as long as they need. Their parents have authorized it. Um, their parents know what they're doing in the house, but they don't know the details. We also have a gourmet market where they can buy all the snacks and hot food that they want, that they heat up themselves. It's self-serve. We're there to serve them. And the, the running philosophy there is we're, we're in existence to advocate for the teenager. I'm, I'm really tired of cliches with the helicopter parents and the high-pressure kids. And it's not a cliche. No parent wakes up in the morning looking to torture their kid with high expectations. And no kid wakes up in the morning wanting to live with all these burdens. It, it's just the dynamic of today. We're living in this anxiety industrial complex. And what we are is a safe haven. The best part is parents are not allowed in. We had a parent make her way in inadvertently about 15 feet, and I called an emergency staff meeting. 
<laughs> that is the biggest value statement for the for the kids. We have kids that come three, four times a day on the weekends simply because home's a little stressful and this is a respite for them. So that's wow. the house. We're looking to disrupt the tutoring model. The kids get the help they want when they want and they even get to choose who it's from and the parents get the outcomes they want. And and that's what the place is about. And 40% of kids these days are diagnosed with anxiety or depression. Forget the number that I can estimate on the ones that aren't even diagnosed yet. If we can give relief, which is what tutoring should always do, um, that's what we do. And we have an entire education team behind the curtain that talks to the students' parents, to their schools, to their therapists, and the kids never know it. They just think they're having fun, but we're pulling strings behind the curtain to make sure they get the help they need. So that's the house in its essence. And if anyone lives in Chicago, we'd love to show it to you. It's our first one's in Glencoe. We're opening our second one this summer. We're opening a few more next summer. And then we're just going, we're just going national as fast as we can. Yes, absolutely brilliant. What a great story. I feel like we're on Shark Tank. If I was Mark Cuban or Sarah Blakely, I would be jumping to uh, to invest in this. It just, I mean, I'm a parent, so I'm not allowed in, but this just, it sounds like you're making school or homework fun, which is really the hardest thing to do. You know, it sounds like a cliche, but we're hearing that a lot. And actually, you said something really interesting about all the devices. So something that we learned on our first center is that we are way overpaying for internet bandwidth because I thought every kid would be on three devices. They're not on their devices. I'm not kidding. They really are not. They are hanging out. They are face-to-face. The, the most forward-thinking neuroscience in adolescent happiness right now is that the thing that the most depressed kids are lacking is human interaction, human-to-human connection. And you can tell they're thirsty for it because just in our little incubator that's only been open for four months, these kids are coming in and they are barely on their phones. And then when you see them on their phones with their headpieces, they're listening to music. It's, it's really something. And, and that's something I'm amazed by and I continue to be amazed. I can give you a lot of anecdotes, but we have kids who are, are gender fluid. They're trying to figure themselves out. And they're using different names in our center than they even use at home. Like we're noting what name to use with their parents while they use our safe space to figure out their identity. And we don't counsel them on that. We are educators. You know, we will always outsource to people who know what they're doing. But to know that kids find us safe enough to redesign their own identity, um, that, that was really impactful for me. And we have lots of anecdotes like that. Um, and so it's been a really moving experience. That's really cool. And just seeing it, I mean, I think you even see with young kids, like they're that social accountability or just being around, like they said, a kid can learn to swim a lot better if he's watching other kids swim. So I imagine if you're in that environment, not isolated one-on-one with a boring tutor, you probably are more motivated. I mean, I'm, I'm motivated just hearing your story. That just sounds like such a great, unique setup. Well, I'll tell you why your analogy works well here too is because, and I sit on a local, I sit on the school board for our district and schools in general, were still coming out of the outdated mode of the boxes, right? The one room schoolhouse has become the, the multi one room schoolhouses in, in buildings and, and schools are modernizing their spaces, but because of schools and funding and, and bureaucracy, it's hard to do it fast. And as a business, we can move a lot faster. 
But the bigger leapfrog here is that these kids are going to work in these fluid environments. So not to plug the business, most of your listeners aren't in Chicago, but if you go to www.house, there's no .com, just .house, you'll see pictures of the space. And that's the, play, the type of space that kids are going to be working in. There's no more cubicles. The best thing the millennials ever did for us was shatter the cubicle. These kids are going to be working in these fluid, uh, living room-styled spaces where everything moves around and everything's adjustable, and we're not teaching them that way. And, and so this is also an opportunity where your analogy is teach them to swim by watching other kids in a pool. Well, we're putting them in the pool that they're eventually going to have to swim in. Uh, and it's been resounding. The, the experiences that we're witnessing. Well, I can't wait for you to open down in Atlanta. I got a few years. How, how old are the kids that they start at? What is it? Sixth grade? We're sixth grade. Yeah. So we, we uh, started sixth grade. We go through 12th grade and believe it or not, we sixth and seventh grade are already having waiting lists. We have fourth and fifth graders signed up to register when they become sixth graders. So this is really speaking to the kids, the younger kids who come early and then the high schoolers who come late and stay late. We're open until 10 o'clock, and we're finding that we might have to be open much later. Uh, so, yeah, you have a few years. You give me a little time. We'll get to Atlanta. Yeah, so I imagine, I mean, when I first heard this, I, my thoughts were a bunch of uh, 14-year-olds hanging out. You must have the occasional issues of uh, other fights, other kids making out, or is everybody on their best behavior when uh, – when you put that many kids in a room, it just sounds like it could be a party. You have to deal with any of that? You know what? It is a party, but they're well-behaved. And I'll tell you, look, the, the, the old version answer is I have, we have video cameras on every centimeter of the building, and there's no secret spot, and we make the kids very aware of that. But that's not really it. The parents are leveraging exactly what we are. They are leveraging the membership. If your kid does not earn your gift, of a membership to our house, then you're going to pull it. And we actually have processes in place where we'll go along with you and suspend your kid's membership and so on and so forth. And we're doing the same thing. We have never had a problem, but they know if there's a real problem, they'll lose their membership and they're going to be that one kid in their town that just can't come to the house. So, but I'll say something. I'm a big advocate of teenagers and people seem to go to the bad but these are good kids. And when you put them in a safe environment, they are stressed from the morning they wake up. Look at our conversation, getting them out of bed and getting them to school, stress point, get in school, full day of expectations, stressful, get out of school, go to an extracurricular expectations, more expectations, nothing but stress. And then we even have to fight them to go to bed. So you stick a few hours at the house in the middle of that day. And that is the only time they don't have expectations. They can drop their coat on the floor. We'll pick it up. They can spill on the floor. We've spent a lot of money putting in floors that look like they've been spilled out. Uh, we have furniture you're supposed to climb up. You know, and, and that's the point is we want to be an oasis. A few hours a day, let them just breathe. And they'll get done what we need done. And they respect it and they appreciate it. Yeah, how cool for you to have this vision and now see it in effect. I mean, it just sounds so innovative and so brilliant. It's like, this is what's happening, like you said, to workplaces and you're already doing it to implementing it for teenagers who are, yeah, I mean, you're going to change kids' lives by doing this. It's just, just, just incredible hearing you speak about it. 
Thank you. I mean, we're, we're lucky. We've gotten a lot of national attention. We, we uh, are in the process of raising a lot of money so that we could do this right and do this quickly. And we've gotten so many invitations from so many communities that, um, you know, I, I'm getting to the point where I feel guilty for not being in Atlanta yet and so forth. So, you know, we're lucky to have partners and investors and people waiting for us around the country. And that is a very, very exciting considering, Rob, we invented this idea 18 months ago. The idea came to exist 18 months ago and we just hit the ground running because we were so excited to get it, get it started. And it sounds like your first, which from what I've learned about in business, when you have the name and you're first in your category, you've actually invented a category. So really impressive. And uh, yeah, I mean, the sky is the limit for this. I'm, I'm excited to sign my kid up and we got a few years. Thank you. I appreciate that. Those are kind words. I'll tell you, Rob, as a dad whose wife is his business partner, there is nothing more exciting than hearing your wife say, that's brilliant. Go do it. I've never had an idea before that my wife didn't make me present six months worth of spreadsheets for. Um, so, so when Carrie said go, I knew this was, was going to be something we'd enjoy. Well, and like any entrepreneur, you could probably attest, you've got to have a hundred bad ideas and try a lot of them before you, uh, hit the, hit the good one. It sounds like you've been at it for uh, quite a while and, and you've, you've hit, hit a home run with this. It sounds like. Thank you. Yeah. I think we've been plugging away at a, we were trying to make a broken model better in our old business. You know, we were trying to be the best in-home one-on-one tutors that we could be. And, and we were, you know, we are very good at that. There's no question, but it's a system that hasn't changed in hundreds of years. And, and we just got tired of it. And we're seeing the response it, in the kids more than anyone else. That's what's feeding us right now. So Gil, to close it out, you've been, you've been in the edu- education world for a while now, and it seems like as parents, we're just getting started, but we seem more worried, anxious than ever about school, about tests, about sports. I mean, just seeing all these traveling baseball teams and how young they start. Uh, how should we as parents help you know, define success to our kids? Like, What should our expectations be and how can we, how can we work on that? Rob, that's not only a great question, it is the question. So you can, there, there are people to follow from Harvard to Stanford, all over the country in education. And I did not invent this phrase, but this is where the thrust of neuroscience is, especially for adolescents and, and the real biology of happiness, is that we need to flip the equation that success equals happiness to happiness equals success. Again, happiness equals success. Meaning the best thing you can do for your kid is make sure that they are content, that they feel good about themselves, that they're not making bad decisions to impress other people in response to insecurities. Look for their signs of depression and anxiety. You know, care more about the hours of sleep they get than the grade they get in sixth grade. Um, There's so much to read about this, but if you focus on your child being happy, I'll tell you, in the upper grades, we do a lot of test prep with students. And my goal is never to get a score that surpasses the child's ability. We want your ACTs or your SATs to match the kind of student you are in school. And that's the way parents should think. Don't push your kid to go to Harvard if they weren't built to go to Harvard. You know, you want your kid content 
in all stages. Because in the end, when we look around us as adults, it's the men and women who are happy with their families, with their careers, with their friends, who are not overly aspirational, meaning let's all go for gold, but let's not make the gold what's going to make us happy. Let's make the struggle to get it the happy. And so, Rob, you and I talked about this a little bit with enjoying parenthood. Parenthood is challenging, and we're not just going to enjoy it when our kids get to their wedding or to their college graduation. We're going to enjoy it throughout. So let's let our kids enjoy their life throughout. If your focus is, if the, if the question you're asking each other when you're raising your children together is, are they happy right now? Then you're moving in the right direction. I see it all the time. College campuses lose a huge percentage of their kids after freshman year because these kids have just chosen the wrong place for the wrong reasons. And by the way, also stop thinking about college as the goal for K through 12. Make your kid a happy kid and teach them how to make wise decisions that don't put them in situations that are going to cause them to be unhappy. And that is the formula that I am aggregating a lot of research from a lot smarter people than me and funneling it into what I see every day. A happy B student who goes to a great state college is going to have a much more successful life than a kid struggling with anxiety all the way to Harvard. And do you think it's, it's excellent advice. We need to uh, act on it too, because it is easy to talk about, hard to do. And I imagine today, I'm kind of new actually to social media, using it for business. And man, do I see the you know, anxiety and the comparison and the envy that it creates for parents too. But I can imagine for teenagers, do you think you know, that plays a big role? And how can we you know, be more mindful about how that impacts our kids and us as parents? I'll tell you, I think there's two answers to that. One I learned as a professional and one I learned as a parent. There's two outcomes to constant social media. It's that our brains don't shut down. And so I had a very wise therapist um, in Chicago named Paul Sweeto tell me that essentially what he told me was there's only one letter difference between medication and meditation and they'll give you the same outcome. And so our oldest child who deals with anxiety now uses his, uh, not his phone, our phone on an app to meditate for 10 minutes. And it teaches him to just stop his brain. Now he's not on social media. He's, he's still too young to carry around a device, but it's the same outcome. Our brains don't stop 24 hours a day. So that's one solution that I am a big, I'm buying into for kids. I'd love to say that I meditate, but I just haven't found the discipline yet. But the second thing is, it's like any relationship. You can't control the other person. You can only control your response to it. We're never going to be able to limit social media, not the way we'd want. So you have to limit the effect it has on your kid. So if you have the kid who's content and happy with themselves and is happy with having five friends instead of 50 and is happy with their body and all of these things that trouble students, that's what you should focus on. Focus on your kid. Don't try to keep the world out. The world's coming in. And forget social media. I mean, CNN alone is terrifying, uh, just with our own national politics. So we just need to have kids that have a layer of insulation between the, the BS of the world and what actually seeps into their mind. I really appreciate it, Gail. You gave so many nuggets there. I'm, I'm excited to uh, use them in my life and listen to this again and again. So uh, where can people learn more about what you're doing and the house? 
You know what? In the, the same website, Zud.house or www.zud.house is the best place to follow us and see what we're doing and see what city we're coming to next. And Rob, I'm going to keep listening to your show because since I've discovered you, I've gotten a lot of nuggets from a lot of dads. And, and you know what? I'm really enjoying the fact that we're not just secondary parents. Um, I'm a big feminist and I get really offended when people ask my wife if she works, but they never ask me. So, you know, being a stay-at-home dad got a ton of value and being a professional mom you know has the same and so i I like how your uh podcast speaks to all the different ways that we can be parents so thank you for that i appreciate it gil we try to keep it real here because i think that's what parents need most is know that you know we're all winging it we're all trying to get better and uh we try to keep it relatable make you laugh so we learned a lot on this one so yeah thank you for being on the dad the best i can show let's talk soon It's been a real pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Actually, five stars. We could do better than that. Brooks? Infinity. Infinity stars. Cameron? How many stars? Infinity thousand. Infinity thousand. You got to one-up them in this household. Thanks. See ya.